Welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast, where our team is helping people build their financial freedom. And one of the things we talk a lot about is saving and investing 25% of one's income. And I'm your host, Joel Farrell. And each week we dig into the ways that people are generating more income to be able to save more money and the ways that they are investing that hard-earned dollar. And lastly, the how, how people are making these changes. Because again, we're talking about changes. We're talking about changing behaviors. Let's get into today's content so we can help you on your financial journey towards living a life with the power of choice. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Strive 25 podcast. And I've got an amazing guest today, Tina Call. And she is building a massive team, a team of 60 in North Carolina realtors. And Tina, thank you so much for making time for us today. Oh, absolutely, Joel. I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. All right. We have a lot to, to dig into in terms of the business, but everybody wants to know real estate is now a good time to buy. It's a great time to buy. You know, if you're going to wait for interest rates to go down, you might be waiting for 10, 15 years. Who knows? Right. So my theory is buy real estate and wait. I've never met, think of this. I've never met anybody. I've been in the industry for 24 years. I've never met a client that has lost money on real estate that's held it for 10 or more years. Never once. I still am looking and I've been in the business for 24 years. So yeah, I think it's a great time to buy if it fits your needs and lifestyle and it's time to go. Yeah, then go and then worry about rates later. I love it. From a standpoint of real estate investing, Mm -hmm. you've got a team of 60 people that are out there doing amazing stuff in the community, helping people purchase homes. You know, kind of a forward question, how many, what percentage of of your team would you say has an investment property? Okay. So investment property, I would say of the 60 people, we probably have 20 to 25% that have investment properties only because in 2016, I met a, one of my clients that turned into a realtor that joined my team that's still with us today. Her name is LaDondria Morris. She has over a hundred investment properties. And so LaDondria came to me one day and she said, why don't you own real estate? Like you sell real estate. You've been in the industry forever. You have multiple homes. Like I own my own personal homes. I had a lake house and, you know, vacation home and my own personal home. But why are you not investing in what you sell? And I was like, light bulb, you know, why am I not? And it was just fear of the unknown. It was fear of like taking the time and looking into it. So we bought our first investment property in 2016. And ever since then, we've bought two per year. And I think we have like 12 or 13 properties now. And we've diversified into different, you know, avenues of wealth building syndications and, you know, other ventures. But she was the catalyst for us going, hey, we need to learn about this. And ever since then, she's been sort of our go-to on our team to inspire our agents, our leadership, our staff. So I would say 25% probably have their first, if not second investment property. I mean, that's a big number. I mean, you're talking about people in the industry. Like when I'm talking to different real estate teams and groups, I mean, it's it's an astonishing number of people who are in the game, in the industry that don't own real estate and many reasons for it. But I mean, that's a pretty large number, 20 to 30%. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a big core value for us to invest in what you sell now. And so we try to get everybody into that mindset and then push them towards saving to, to invest in real estate. And, and just to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a background. So what part of North Carolina are you in? So I'm in the Raleigh Durham area of North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, from a, a an investment property standpoint, 
Mm-hmm. What price, again, this is 2016 prices, but what kind of yeah. price range were you getting in the game at that point? When I first got in the game, most of my properties were about 150 to 175,000, which is amazing because now they're 400,000, 375,000. So they've really, we've built a lot of equity in, in these homes. Now a good investment property in our area, that's not in the heart of like, you know, the most active areas, I would say maybe 20, 25, 30 minutes outside of like the hottest areas. You're still buying like a 300 to $330,000 townhouse that's brand new. So it's, it's also pushed me. I love our market and we still have 60 people a day moving into the Raleigh-Durham area, but I've kind of shifted and I've moved to Greenville, South Carolina. I've bought two or three now investment properties there because it reminded me of Raleigh circa 2016. Mm-hmm. And I was buying the same product, same topography, same climate, same East Coast location, great businesses. So for me, I'm sort of diversifying still just away from our specific town. I, I love it, but I'm making my money go further in a different town. You use the word fear of the unknown. Yeah, and I, I feel like when I talk to people that are thinking about real estate, that's something that's been a lot, a big, you know, common theme is fear of rates, fear of the markets, fear of jobs, and all this stuff. And you know, mm-hmm. I bought my first property in 2009, and you know, my first rental became 2013 when I bought my second house and turned the old one to rental. So, you know, obviously, when you, you talk about 10 years of time, a lot of the properties that I've owned, just like yours, have gone up in value. Right. And in this environment, who who knows what the values are going to do short-term. I think we'd all agree long-term, they're going to continue to go up. Yeah. Uh, maybe we don't see the same you know, type of double in value in 10 years kind of a thing. Right. But when you're talking to someone that's thinking, hey, I do want to get into the game, buy a property. Maybe it's their first primary residence. And if you look 10 years down the road, how would you project or kind of explain what to expect in terms of just values and just the markets and all that stuff? Obviously, it's, tough. it's a tough question. It is. But you know, when I look at the trajectory of our market specifically, before weird COVID, before, you know, what's happened in the last four years, our market, you can look at the last 15 years and it was a slow growth market. So we made about four to 6% every single year steadily, which means when the market does shift, we didn't lose a lot of money. Like in 2006, seven, eight, Michigan, which I used to live in Michigan, we dropped 40% 40% in, in our values. Like it was like overnight with 2008, like we lost 40% of our value, but we saw fluctuations that were higher there. And so here in the Raleigh Durham market, I can only speak for this market the last 15 years, just really slow growth, which meant if we do have a fluctuation, we're not seeing those big crashes. Now in the last four years, I think we're seeing a little bit of price correction because we just this year alone, I mean, we had I think an 18% increase in some pockets. That's huge increase. And so you're starting to see a little bit of price adjustment, but because the demand is still there, the demand is covered up by interest rates. It's if the rates drop just a little bit, boom, buyers come into the market. That means there's demand. It's just covered up a little bit, but we have no inventory. So when you have no inventory, you're going to see that the prices are going to stay steady. And I think they're going to stay steady for a long time unless we see this miraculous influx of property. I don't think that's happening. Yeah, I'm on the same page. And like, I think that I saw recently that the median, you know, price of a home in, in the United States is like 410 or 420,000, some, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And I think like 30 years ago, it was like 150. So I mean, you're talking like almost quadruple uh, over 30 years. 
And then kind of coming back to the affordability standpoint and kind of that average age of first-time home buyer, you know, I've seen it go from 28, three or four years ago. Now it's 36 based on, you know, you know, some of the, the data. And, you know, if you take 10 years and let's say you apply it to 415 pr price, you're talking, you know, probably 550s, 560s of an average price. The Gen Z, even the millennials, you know, the amount of people that are owning real estate, it feels like that gap is going to continue to widen. Right. And that scares the crap out of me because I've been in the game for a while, just like you. And by being in the game, the equity builds, you can kind of maneuver and be nimble on how to get to the next thing. And if yeah. people can't get into the game, you're not going to have time behind you to be able to make those cool moves along the way. Yeah. So and I, I think though, too, it's like, you know, you've got, you might not be able to get into the game in Cary, where I live, our average price points, 500,000. If you're looking for that $200,000, $150,000 starter home, you're probably going to have to relocate. So you can get in the game, just not in, in an area or a market that is your choice right away. So, you know, think about our parents. My parents moved from Greece to come to this country. They moved away from everything they knew to have a better life. I think sometimes we're going to be forced with decisions that are going to shake up, you know, your status quo. And you go, well, if you live in the middle of Beverly Hills and that's where you were born, you probably can't afford it unless your parents are giving you a lot of money. So, so I do think there's going to be options. I think people are just going to have to get a little more flexible. That's so true. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people on the show that have done that exact same thing. You know, so a client, a friend of mine in Hawaii buying in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and scaling a gentleman that we had just had on, Matthew Pizon, lives in Allenton, Pennsylvania. I didn't even know where the heck that was until I talked to him. But he just retired at 36 and he bought his first property in uh, 2014. Mm -hmm. And it was an investment property, straight yeah. up investment property, 15% down. And he just retired from his job. So like being flexible, especially we're kind of in the age of this free agency, you know, taking the sports terminology, like, hey, if you work remotely, you could buy a house anywhere. And right. that's the stuff that if you really have that passion and vision for, Hey, I don't want to be building someone else's dream. I want to right. retire early. There's right. ways to do it. And real estate's, you know, the great equalizer in terms of, of multiplying. So it is. And we get so many people. I mean, think about it, it's happening right now. I mean, when we look at most of our sales right now, we have a huge influx from the West Coast. People are just leaving the West Coast, going, Well, I just now I, I just can't afford it. I'm forced to go. So there's always an option. So I'm not overly concerned because I think that people that want to have home ownership will find a way. They just have to get over some of the ideals they had in their head about what it looked like at two and a half percent versus eight and a half percent. So coming back to the 25 to 30% of your team that are, that are in real estate, to mm -hmm. me, that, that signifies a couple things. Well, first off, if you look at the, the roster of an office or a brokerage, like a good percentage of part-time agents or don't do anything or just hold a license, right? right. And you got a small percentage that are going to be active. And so especially in times like this, where things are just the activity is slowing down, the inventory is tight. There's a lot of people struggling to, to close deals and, and stay in the game. Yeah. And you guys are still closing deals. And from, from a standpoint of being able to purchase real estate, that means your people, if, if your people are, are buying real estate, that means that they are confident in the ability to be able to continue to help clients, the ability to help them buy properties. And I kind of want to dig into the business, right? So you mentioned 24 years? 24 years. Yeah. Okay. So when did it become more than just yourself? So the first seven years I started in Michigan, that's where I was born. And in 2009, I actually met a real estate coach. 
So the first seven years, I always say I was the average of the five people that I hung out with. And I sold about 20 to 25 homes a year, which gave me the pat on the back and top producer in my office. That's pretty good when the national average is four. So I, I had a great career. I made about 150 grand a year, but I met a coach that instilled bigger thinking in me, Joel. And he was like, you're not a tree, you can move. And so we moved away from Michigan because of the weather. We landed in North Carolina because it was the number one place to live um, on one of the lists. And we started over and I joined Remax. I was alone for about 20, 2009 to 2014. I sold about 130 homes a year. I was making 700 grand a year. I was an active agent. I wore all the hats, but I'm absolutely convinced that I lost money because I didn't understand leverage. I was a control freak. I always had to have my hand in the deal and nobody could do it better than me. What started to happen was the money was not the move, the, the goal anymore, because you first, for me, I grew up in a poor family and fear is what made me stay in that belly to belly role. And once I had enough money, I was like, okay, I could take a breather. I don't have to do this for the rest of my life. So I went and hired a manager. So I look at it like this, anybody who's a lender or a real estate agent or in sales, you've got your own personal business over here. You want to build a team or have leverage over here. But what happens is the team leader or me, let's say, I would start to add people here, but I didn't have enough time for them. I didn't have enough time to train them and work with them. And so they feel alone and I'm a part-time leader and this fails and you go, oh, teams don't work. Teams do work. What I did instead, when I watched all the other team leaders failing is I hired a manager right away, a sales manager and a sales coach and an operations manager. I said, hey, I'm opening up a Dairy Queen. You're gonna help me build this thing. And we did that in 2014 and we hired eight agents who are still, most all of them are here with me still today. And I started to slowly step back from 130 deals to 100 to 70 to 50. And finally I had 20 agents. It took me 20 agents to replace my income. But what started to happen was rocket fuel because I bought back my time. I wasn't in the belly to belly relationship anymore with the client. So I could spend my time looking at the holes in the business and helping agents grow a hundred, 200, $300,000 a year businesses. And all of a sudden it just started to grow. And now we have 60 agents, which is what some 2014, six, almost 10 years ago. And I've been out of production for three years and it's been insanely good. The, the agents that are coming on in the last few years, it's been mm -hmm. just crazy in terms of the polar opposites. You know, you got rate, you know, rates really low in 2021. And then we have right. this massive increase. Um, and you see these market cycles. What advice are you giving to some of the newer agents to be able to, you know, really excel in this market and grow? You know, I think if they came into the market three years ago, they could breathe on a on a buyer or a seller and the house would sell. So they didn't need that good of skills. They needed decent skills, but not that good. So now what we're seeing is the three-year agent is freaking out right now. They're, they don't have a great foundation. They realize their skills are not that good because they're getting objections they've never heard before. They're having to do price reductions and they're navigating a different market and they're losing their mind. And so what we really try to enforce is, hey, you got to go back to the foundational skills of the business, which in our company, we have 20 steps. It's time management. Rate yourself on time management. Do you treat this like a job? Do you come in willy-nilly at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, leave by two and shop at TJ Maxx? get some groceries and go home and repeat where the day looks different? Or are you in the office at eight, eight o'clock? Are you role-playing? Are you on the phones making calls and having conversations? And are you treating it like a nine to five? And I find that the agents that treat it like a nine to five that have upped their game on 
conversations and contacts are doing just fine. I mean, we're selling 80 homes a month still, a month. And some agents are struggling to sell for a year. To me, it's like there is no excuse to be successful, even in this market, because there's lots of opportunity. But you probably got to look inside and go, I think my skills suck. I think I got to get better at those skills, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite out there is Alex Hermosi, you know, oh, yeah. $100,000 leads, $100,000 million offer. And one of the things he talks about a lot is that people don't need more teaching. They need more reminding. And I'm yeah. guilty of that. And like, you know, having leadership, having, you know, structure, I think is so important in, in most businesses, especially small businesses, but especially in this industry, where there's just a million things you could be doing with your time and then yeah. trying to figure out what's the right thing that's going to have the most impact because the, the actions you do, it takes time to be able to see the results. Maybe it's a, a week, maybe it's a year. You don't even know. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's challenging. I think, you know, for me personally, and then people that have been around in this business, it, 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 you know, the results are delayed. Right. Um, yeah. Is there a story of somebody that just wowed you on the team or someone you've been around that just, they were looking bleak, didn't look like they, like they were going to make it in just this rapid transformation? Well, there's probably a lot of stories like that. I think what happens is that story is very common. You've got four months onboarding, no deal. The person comes from like a successful job and they're like just struggling because they're like, man, I'm doing the things, but I'm not seeing the results. And what I find with realtors, because it's such a long pipeline, it's a three month pipeline, sometimes four, sometimes you need to lead an incubation for 15 months. It's It can be duplicatable and repeatable, but you have to set the foundation, do the things that aren't going to make you money right away that are tangible that you can see and then have blind faith that's all going to pay off. So Jody is a, one of our agents that just joined us about five months ago. For the first four months, she didn't sell a home and she is a rock star. She led a team at IBM in sales. Like I, she was my past client. I sold her five homes. This lady was one of the best clients I've ever had because she knew more information than I did when I got to the door. So I knew she'd be a great realtor and it was her dream. But month, I think it was month five and a half, six, all of a sudden she had five deals on the board. It was like, oh, okay, the work paid off because most people would say, this isn't for me, or they come into the business without cash flow or cash in the bank. And they're so strapped for money that they have commission breath. The customer feels it, they feel it, and they're really not giving this career a chance. And so there are a lot of Jody stories, but you know, somebody like Jody can come in and make it to the 19 year old Jack that we hired confident kid. But I mean, he looks really young and he knows it. he's like, I look really young. And we were like, I hope Jack, I hope people give Jack a chance. And he's got five under contract within four months of being here because he hustles. He's on the phone. He's calling, you know, he's just making connections. And so I think that's it. You've got to be hungry. You've got to be humble because the humble part is key. Get your ego out of the way. You're going to fail forward. And you got to be smart and be emotionally intelligent to say, this is how I come across. Maybe I'm an introvert and I need to, you know, I need to project a little more on the phones or smile more. You know, we really try to give people hands on, like you should probably dress this way, or you should probably say this in your upswings or your downswings. So we try to get into the really tactical sales skills, give great real-time feedback and it's coming from love. And then you know, they end up doing well. And to be honest, a lot of people don't make it. 10 people, will, if we hire 10 people, seven won't make it. Even with all the good training, three will three will be a right fit for this industry. And so if you can't make it here, you're probably not going to do really well because we equipped you with as much as possible. So sometimes we have to love people out of the industry and just say, you know, it's just oh. not, yeah. So- if someone's been following you, say on Instagram at uh, Tina underscore 
call, mm-hmm. what would they be find? What kind of messaging would they find online? So for me, my biggest thing right now, and I do a lot on YouTube is build the foundation of the business, pick up the phone. People can say social media is the be all end all. Mm, it's a piece of the puzzle. And if you're going to wait for social media, you're not going to build a duplicatable, repeatable uh, business unless you have some sort of system where you become a content creator and you go all in on that. Content creation and social media is a strategy and you better be good at it. If you're not going to be good at it, then you better pick up the phone. If you're not going to be good at picking up the phone, then you probably should leave the business, right? I mean, because you got to do something at a high level. My feeling is do both. I'm going to say, hey, put yourself on camera as a business card, but right now build the foundation, learn your scripts and dialogues, get in the phones, call expireds, call Fizbos. They're going to learn sales skills if they follow my page, because that's what I'm really passionate about. Nobody should be broke in this industry, but yet 90% are. From a standpoint of vision for the team, you mentioned also your own personal stuff being in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you imagine the the growth of the business and the team looking over in five, 10 years? Um, For me, you know, the team is, uh, we've put ourselves in a position where we have multiple streams of income. We don't have to run this team, we get to. So it's something that we enjoy. Um, Our feeling is we're a self-development company that's disguised as a real estate company. We want people to come and work on their mind, work on their body, because your body's your temple. If you don't have a healthy body, you're probably not going to have a healthy mind or business. And then work on your business. So we believe that I built a company that I, I envisioned working for because it wasn't available to me back then. Teams weren't a thing. Brokerages were a thing, but not teams that were like really in depth. So, so yeah, I I think that for me, it's just, it's going to be five years of probably being right around 75, maybe to a hundred agents. All of them are making over a hundred thousand dollars. That's the goal. So you should not be in this business if you can't make that. But know that there's phase one, phase two, and phase three of your business. So for all of our agents, we tell them the first year, if you make about sixty to seventy-five thousand, you're on track. The second year, one hundred and fifty, and then beyond by year four. So I think we'll still be in the business five to ten years from now, helping agents succeed. You mentioned you know the mind and body and the temple part of it, stuff that you know through my own kind of journey, you know I have an idea of what you're talking about. But for the listeners out there. You know, what are some of the habits or processes that you're talking with your team about to be able to kind of talk, you know, help people get to that mindset of being productive, being your best self every single day? You know, you're going to talk to different people based on I'm a nerd and I love to study personality styles. So I think there is there are there is something in some agents where they just have that like that that thing where they're just going to keep gnawing away at like getting better at this one skill and they're just not going to stop. And it's something that's intrinsic. But if you don't have that intrinsic drive or intrinsic motivation to do the hard things, then you're going to have to set up probably accountabilities where, hey, Joel, if you're on my team, I probably would let myself down, but I wouldn't let you down. So I know for me, I used to give my role play partners a thousand, a check for $1,000. If I didn't get my butt on the phone at 7.30 a.m. with my five different role play partners five days a week, they could cash my check for $1,000. I don't know about you, but that hurts. And I didn't have a thousand to spend. So if you don't have intrinsic motivation, you have to set parameters up that are going to hurt and make sure you have people that love you on the other end that are going to cash your check, not be a nice friend and say, okay, I'll give it back to you. Or it was okay. You were three minutes late. That's okay. No, they were like vicious. They were like, we're cashing your check because I would cash theirs. And we made that commitment. So if you're struggling right now, you have to think about 
where can I make myself completely uncomfortable because that's where the growth is. And people don't want to do that because it's painful. Just like, I don't want to wake up and work out every day. I know I have to do it, but I still don't love it. It's actually one of the least favorite activities that I have. But if I want my body to be right, and if I have success, I'd like to live and enjoy my success through my nineties, hopefully, then I better get my body right. And I better do the workouts. So if somebody's uh, somebody out there is in a random market and they wanted to, to reach out to you and ask questions or learn about some of the things that you do. I mean, do, do you have any trainings or any programs that you sell or help people with that yeah. they're out there? I don't sell any programs. There's a couple that I'm creating right now because I find that I'm so busy that I don't have, you know, I only have bandwidth for our EXP team. So we have our call group team here, 60 agents. I have 1200 agents in a network all around the nation. And those agents are part of a group called Access Global. So we have five masterminds. What I always tell agents is I'll give you a free pass to my masterminds. I mean, you, Joel, have listeners. If they want to join our masterminds, we have a top producer mastermind for team leaders. We have a solo agent mastermind, a lady leaders mastermind, a recruiting mastermind, because you have to recruit people to grow any business. And we have a wealth building mastermind. Every day, there's some sort of mastermind and I could give them a code and they could go visit. And the goal of that is, I want you to have a seat at our table so you know what it looks like. If you were ever to join us one day and you're not happy in your current brokerage, come join us. But you don't have to join us, but come see what we're all about. So that's the best way I could have them have access to me and have access to the best minds in the business that are doing things that's, at a high level. That's pretty cool. So if somebody wanted to learn more about one of those programs, those masterminds, they could just reach out to you how? Right on Instagram. I mean, just message me. I, I respond to all my own DMs. So uh, just cool. DM me and say, hey, I'd love to join that mastermind. And Joel, I heard it from Joel that I should join. And then I'll know uh, to thank you, Joel. <laughs> so real estate, right? I keep using the words. It's the great equalizer for the everyday person to be able to multiply the, you know, wealth in general. From people that are in your circles, you know, do you feel like people are seeing you do these massively successful things and, you know, people that may have been resisting real estate or resisting, you know, investing in general are seeing, Hey, well, she can do it. Maybe I can try to do it too. Are you seeing people kind of follow a little bit of your lead? Absolutely. And what I tell everybody is you're looking at a collection of 24 years in the industry, but really I didn't start building my wealth. I came, I moved to North Carolina and Kevin and I were worth $20,000. Like literally. So that was it. That was our wealth. And now we have multiple millions of dollars and, and a high, you know, a, a decent net worth because we compounded, we come, we, we saved a little bit over time. So we had a 10 year plan. So like I tell everybody, when we moved here, we started taking 10 to 15% of our income and socking it away in the stock market. We started to, you know, save over here so we could buy our first investment properly. It's not sexy getting rich because it's boring. And so you have to say, I'm not going to buy that brand new car or brand new bag. I'm going to buy the used Cadillac Catera, which is what I bought for $14,000. I bought a used Jaguar. I could still have a nice car. My used Jaguar was $19,000. Why would I buy a $70,000 one when I can buy a $19,000 one? It doesn't matter. So making those decisions to delay gratification and then compound over time is really where you're seeing the success now, but nobody wants to make the sacrifices and do the hard because it's not fun because we live in a I want it now society. So it, I think to me, if I look at, if anyone's listening and they're 32 years old, my God, by the time you're 42, you could practically be retired if you do it right. Mm, it's so true. It's so true. You mentioned 12 streams of income on our last uh, discussion. 
Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about what goes into that? Yeah. So let me think of them all. So our first one is call group. So we have our agents. So think about before I used to chase a $10,000 commission check myself. Now, if I have, you know, 10 agents and I'm, and I net the company nets $32,000 per agent per year, if they sell 16 homes. So they make about $90,000. We make about 30. So if I have 10 agents, that's 300,000. Let's say if I have 20 agents, that's 600,000. So the first stream of income is the cash flow in the business of call group. The second stream of income is the cash flow from rental properties. The third is our stock. So we have stock in our company. Our company pays us to work here. And I have the stock that we've saved through the years. I have affiliate agreements. So on my YouTube channel, if I say Red X or Sales X training, I get affiliates. So if somebody's listening and they love a product and they have a decent following, they could get paid just to say the product's name. I have Airbnbs. I'm trying to think of what else now since you're, oh, I, RevShare, which is in our company, if I recruit an agent to the company and that agent sells a home, our company sends us a referral fee and says, thank you, Tina, for bringing that agent onto our company. So that is actually the money that allowed us to pretty much retire. So now we get to work for fun. I know there's more, but I'm not thinking- That's five right there. I mean, that's- Yeah. I mean, there's- really cool ones. There's a lot more, but like little things right now in my mind, our YouTube channel makes us a monthly income. So we make money there. Syndications. Thank you. Syndications. You know, we invest in group funds now. So, I mean, you know, if you whittle it down you, and you start looking for ways to duplicate yourself and or create in multiple businesses, then you're going to be able to, you know, reap that benefit after several years of growing it. So don't always try to stick to that belly to belly. Always think of how do I diverse myself, diversify myself and my time really. Is there somebody that you can think of on the team that's kind of taken some of this examples or mindset to harden? Hey, they've built their own kind of side hustle or side yeah. income stream, whether it be YouTube yeah. or whatever else. So perfect example is I'm a team leader, right? So I have a team and I have an agent on my team that said, you know what? I could leave the team right now and go on my own and go independent, but I love the leverage that call group gives me. In her best year, she sold 40 homes, but in the last two years, she's whittled that down to about 25 because She's recruiting some agents and being a team leader. So she's recruited 10 agents in the last two years. Those 10 have recruited 95. She has over 105 people in her organization. So bigger than call group with low, no expense, no overhead, except her time and leadership. So this is a person that not only has, you know, a rental property, her personal home, wants to buy a beach house, has now a team of 105 people, has stock. She's starting to see that, oh gosh, I can build multiple different ways by leveraging the opportunities in front of me. So I would say to people, be open-minded, you know, like be open-minded. There are brokerages out there, lending uh, companies out there that have opportunities that if you're a hustler and you're going to go and have grit and you're going to be hungry for it, you can build uh, different ways to not be always so set on, if I don't sell a house today, I don't eat. That used to keep me up at night because that's most of, most of the agents in the industry and lenders. If you don't close a loan and you don't sell a house, you're out of business. And what if you can't? What if something happens to your voice or you get sick or you're in bed for two months? Where's the money coming from? And mm -hmm. that was where I started to manifest opportunities. I asked for it. How do I diversify myself? Because this is not working. So there's a lot to dig into at this point. If you could pick one place to just spend a month anywhere in, yeah. in the US or anywhere else, where, where would you go? Like on a vacation? A month to just think about life and the business and whatever, just a month just to get away. You know, 
For me, I do my best thinking when I'm on the go. So I love Europe. I'm Greek and I speak Greek fluently. I love Greece. I love the islands. So I would go there. I would go to the Greek islands. I would spend a lifetime there if my husband would move. <laughs> so That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, if I'm talking to somebody that wants to get into lending, mm-hmm. I mean, unless it's like a summer that, that I know that's really going to be out there hustling and, and just understands the, the grind and the time that's going to take to be able to get, you know, success. I'm typically, because like, people are asking me, hey, I think I'm getting into lending. But, and you're and, like, run. Dude, run. run. Yeah, exactly. I don't think so. <laughs> Run. I think um, it's way harder than real estate. I really do. Probably I do. would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, because you guys have to chase us and we can only work with a couple of you. If we're a big team, we have three lenders right now, but the advice I'd give to any lender, like I thought about that. What if I was a lender? What would I do today? I would say I'm a real estate coach that happens to do lending deals. So I would literally learn everything there is about real estate and how to teach real estate agents, how to sell homes And then I would go into brokerages and teach, and then I would do lending on the side. But really, I would do it full time because I'd have so much business because I would not be standing in front of the room saying, I close loans fast. No, I'd say, here's what you say to a for sale by owner when they say this and teach them how to actually go make more money. Those lenders would crush it. I mean, maybe you just build your own lending shop and teach them. I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) I have plenty of businesses, Joel. Well, I I don't want to. I don't want to kind of, we could get down the rabbit hole on real estate all day, but from a standpoint of your social media stuff, you mentioned that you've got your podcast that's coming. What's the the vision on the, on your podcast? Um, it's mind body business. So we want to talk about different things, sometimes relationships. So I'll have some relationship people come on business. I had a guy on a couple of years ago that I'm bringing back to the podcast. I had him on YouTube channel. He sold 300 homes in his first second year in business with one assistant, 300 homes. Like, so I love to interview agents that have done pretty cool things in their business. And then the goal is, is sharing. I'm all about collaboration. So, so the guest brings something to the show to share with the audience. And I think that's going to be impactful. So, so yeah, we've got, I think five episodes recorded and we're going to record like 10 or 15 and then launch it beginning of the year. That's awesome. Okay. So, so kind of a last, last lane here. If you're talking to to a business owner out there, you know, because business is business. Processes yeah. and systems are, are, they translate to other businesses. If you're a small you know, solopreneur type of person out there, you know, what advice would you give to them in terms of trying to be able to be, be better and be in terms of systems and processes? So my first uh, piece of advice would be, you know, no, there's a lot of people that want to be leaders just because they want the title. Oh, I want to be a leader. Okay. Well, I didn't. I had to, I fell into leadership out of necessity. I didn't ask to do this job. And so what I would say is, understanding who you are and your strengths and weaknesses is first because the best leader is the self-aware one that understands themselves. When you know your inefficiencies, you can bring people in to, to help those gaps. And the best tools that I would say on the planet right now are your DISC assessment, your strengths finder, your Gallup strengths finder assessment, and your working genius assessment. And those three combined are going to tell you who you are as a person, 90% accuracy, everything's, you know, but 90% accuracy. And then you're going to be able to look at the gaps and hire talent to help build a business. And I think what happens is a lot of us hire people just like us first, because we know them, like them and trust them. And then we might say, gosh, this is not the right person for this role. And things might not be happening in the business. And then 
the business either falls apart or the relationship fails or whatever. But I, I would start there yourself and then the right tools to hire the right talent. Awesome. Okay. 2024. What are rates going to do? No, I think they're going to go up. Well, they, they're going to come down a little bit. I feel like for a hot minute, but I think they're going to go back up. I think we're going to be right around seven something for a long time. That's just my gut because I've been in the business 24 years. They've averaged around 6%. Yeah. Nothing's changed. So to me, it's like, okay, if they're higher than six, they're going to be 6.75 to seven and a half. That's just where I think we're going to land for a a hot minute, like a long minute. I don't know that we'll ever see four again. Maybe. I hope. Yeah. Yeah, Four, if that happens, it's going to be a long time or craziness bad in a bad way. So like, I'm sorry, there are a couple articles. There was one interview from BlackRock CEO that I saw maybe about two weeks ago. And he was talking about how the quote unquote idea of a soft landing wouldn't be a 2024 question. As soon as that we'd have some type of clarity would be 2025. And that what that tells me is, okay, he's thinking that we'll probably see a lot of the same of 23 into 24, which would make sense. Yeah. On the flip side, as I've kind of gone, we've gone through the summer and seeing inflation go from 9% in July, 2022, come down really fast and then stuck at that three to three and a half percent range. And the Fed, the Fed saying, Hey, we're going to have to see some more pain yeah. to get it down to 2% target. So I was thinking that 2024 by summer, you know, kind of, you know, in July of this year that we probably would see rates start to come down then. And it'd be an election year you see it come down yeah, a lot, do. but a lot of the data has been kind of flipping it, hey, maybe 2025 or so. And then just, I think it was this morning, you know, UBS article comes out of them projecting that the Fed will be lowering the Fed funds rate two to two and a half percent next year, which would be massive. That would be massive if they do that. So who the hell knows? Yeah, Uh, we don't know. But at the end of the day, you know, we always say life happens. People move like they just move. They moved when they were 18 percent rates. They moved when they were 10. They moved when they were two. They're going to move when they're seven. There's life things that happen. There's divorce. There's death. There's job transfer. There's I just found out I'm having twins and I live in an apartment. Life is life and people will find a way. And the number one thing that people want is home ownership. So when all I have to do to make sure that I keep my mind straight is I open up the MLS and go, yep, there were sales yesterday. There's going to be sales. Get in the way. Get in the way. So if, if someone's 25 years old making average wages and, hey, you know what? I got to stretch. I want to buy a house, but I need to stretch a little bit or get some help to buy a house. And I use the word trajectory. It's, you know, if someone has this, you know, I'm going to borrow out of a 401k or get funds to, to buy a house. You know, it's my job to be able to talk to somebody about the pros and the cons and, and all the what is. I can't advise somebody what to do, but I can give them the, you know, all the different options. And one of the things I use is the word trajectory. Hey, someone's out there hustling. Maybe they're investing and in getting a certificate to make more money or a side hustle, or they're building a business. If you're going in a certain direction that's up in terms of incre- increasing income, okay, maybe it, it makes more sense to be, take a little bit of a risk. If you're status quo, I don't know, maybe think a little bit more about it. But if someone's 25, and they have the ability to get into a house and they can think 10 years down the road. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, if they have the ability to get in, into a house, absolutely. My God, like I wish I would have started younger and I didn't because it was scary. I had the money, but we rented because it was like, we're too young. You know, like it, I, I mean, some of the most successful people that that I see today, it's like the interesting thing is we're moving away from, go get a college education. It's important to, I'm going to be an entrepreneur now. You're starting to, I'm starting to see it anyway, this shift. So I yeah. think our 20 somethings are smarter 
real estate's become a go-to for them. And I think that they're understanding how to leverage it and they're seeing the mistakes their parents made and their parents are telling them the mistakes they made. And so I think we're having more honest conversations about investing. You know, money is being talked about more. It's on social media more now, investments. So the creativity is out of the box and it's not just for the rich anymore. And so I think that's going to really help that younger person decide if they can afford a home, then where should that be? And should they do it? I think the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, your, the masterclass you mentioned that's about the wealth building, is that just for realtors or, or can somebody else out there on, on, on the street, you know, reach out about it that? Is. It is. It's in our brokerage because obviously okay. we're with EXP Realty. And so it's within our brokerage, but we do that as a value add because, you know, we want our agents to be successful. We want them to have the right mindset when they're out there speaking with clients, because if you yeah. can't, you don't feel like it's a great time to buy, trust me, you're not convincing anybody that, that it's a great time. Cool. Well, it's been amazing getting a chance to spend more time with you. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see more of the journey in the podcast and the growth of the team. And again, hopefully down the road, I'll have you back on down the road and see some more successes. But Tina, thank you so much for making time. Thank you, Joel. And congrats to you and your success. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast. If you're ready to jumpstart your financial journey and take it to the next level, you may want to join our 30-day habit challenge, which you can find on our website, strivefor25.com, strive, F-O-R, the number 25.com. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram by searching strive for the number 25. And if you have any questions and want to reach out to us, you can also connect with us on our website. Thank you so much.